Father, we pray, Lord, that I pray, Father, for the words of that song, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that it's true. Father, I pray, Lord, in all I do, I pray, Lord, that I would honor You, Lord. Father, that we could honestly say we do. But Father, as the Word shows us, Lord, there's areas in our life, Lord, that we really can't sing that song about in all I do. So I, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would, You would check my heart Father, that we would be a people who are sensitive to the moving of Your Spirit. Father, that we are not a mechanical people. Father, just going through the motions without any transformation, Lord, without any life change. So, Father, we pray, Father, that You would minister to us, Lord, that we would take heed to the things that we hear, at least we drift away. So Father, we thank You for speaking to us this morning, Lord. We pray for a servant's heart. Father, as we heard this morning about Mary and how she had an attitude of submission to Your Word, and You were glorified, and we still speak of that today, that amazing work of Your Spirit. But Father, I thank You that You desire to do an amazing work through your church. You promised, Lord, in, in Acts chapter 1-8 that we would be witnesses of you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Father, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord, and that we would be a witness that glorifies you. In all we do, Father, we pray that we would honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to the Epistle of James, the Epistle of James, and we're, we're finishing up chapter 1 in leadership. So James chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up at verse 19. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 will be our text this morning. Great study this morning with Pastor Raw. I mean, Pastor. I'm thinking about Pastor. He's been in my prayers, uh, Pastor Pastor Joe. Um, you know, talking about the incarnation and and really doctrine is very important because a lot of people are preaching a Jesus from the pulpits here in here and abroad of a different Jesus. So it's it's important for us to be in the scriptures. It's important for us to have a biblical view of who Jesus is. Now, James, again, like I mentioned before, was the half-brother of Jesus, Mary's other son. And so he was the first leader of the Jerusalem church. We see him in the middle part of the book of Acts, where he's there with Paul and the Jerusalem council. Uh, we know from history that he was um, killed for his stance. and his. Uh, so this is one of the letters that he addressed the church uh, prior to him going to be with the Lord. But in a lot of his qualities, he was very similar to the Lord. And historically, it said that he had that same heart as Stephen did, the first martyr of the church, that he, he didn't want to lay the hold of the sins that they committed against him to them. So he, you know, he pleaded that the Father would forgive them of their sins when he was martyred. So he addressed qualities in 
trials the last couple times we were together. Because in ministry, in Christianity, there are going to be trials. There are some churches that teach that there shouldn't be no trials. You shouldn't have trials as a Christian. Well, that's contrary to biblical teaching. And so there are qualities that the Word of God is, is, is teaching that there's qualities that we need in trials. And boy, in ministry, it has its full share of trials. But there are qualities in ministries that we can learn from James and as being followers of Jesus. James instructs us here, uh, the church, in verse 19 of here, chapter 1, and he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So number one, the quality or principle as a leader that's needed in ministry is, is self-control. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to be self-controlled. We're not to be controlled about our, our emotions. And I'll get into a little bit about that. But we cannot control what others do. We cannot control what, what anybody does. But God instructs us that we have the responsibility of how we respond regardless of who is speaking or what is coming against me. As, as le- especially as leaders, we have a responsibility to, as Christians, model Christ's character. So, we cannot control what others do, but God instructs us that we have a responsibility of how we respond. You see, we can't let our emotions get the best. I can't let the emotions, my emotions get the best of me. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. Don't let your emotions bring out the worst of you. The worst of you. You know, remember Moses. Moses, and I was just reading this week in, in Psalms uh, 106 verse 23 you know god wanted to destroy israel his people they were a complaining bunch they were always complaining complaining about manna manna this manna that you know hey we had things great in egypt and you know they had a wrong view of where they came from they were slaves in bondage in egypt and and they 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 still look back at the world as a place of glory a place of fun and you know we had this and and many times, even in Christian circles, we, we still have that mentality. Things were good in the old days. You know, last night I was watching the game with a bunch of guys that I used to hang out with in 1992. And it, it's like, you know, I said, man, I, it's like I have a flashback here to 1992. My goodness, I haven't seen these guys in, in like 20-some years. But um, here in the, in the text... You know, I, I don't want to live the, the, those days because those ain't the glory days. The best is yet to come. Yeah, the best is yet to come. God delivered me from that stuff. But remember these, the children of Israel in Psalms 106 verse 23 gives us a little glimpse of the life of Moses, a great leader. But you see, he's never called a leader in Scripture. He's never called the great leader. He's called a servant. And the greatest of leaders are servants. They're not catered to. They're, they're servants. And Jesus was a servant. 
And Jesus is our model. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are called to be servants. But God, this, look, this man, this, this servant leader, this great man, God was using, God used in a tremendous way. And in Psalms 106, God, uh, God wanted to destroy His people. They're complaining. They were in adult. They got into idolatry. They built a calf. You know, they wanted to have religion their way. They wanted to get with the times and and change, because the God who saved them that was the past. Now let's make a a new God. Let's not follow Scripture anymore. Let's let's get off. Let's let's be more contemporary. Was kind of their their attitude, and you know what? God wanted to destroy them. God wanted to wipe them out. His people, He just delivered them. They just went through the Red Sea. The, the Red Sea parted. And, and, and they're here they're complaining. For 40 years, imagine being a servant leader with a complaining butt for 40 years. So we, sometimes we think, oh, you have, I have it that bad. No, you don't. You don't have it that bad. But we can learn a lot from Moses and his dealings because in verse 23 of Psalms 106 again I said it gives us a glimpse you know God was going to destroy the people for their I, being idolatrous uh, being ungrateful they were complainers and God said he was going to destroy them had not Moses chosen to stand before them in the breach in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he destroy them you see these grumblers and complainers and everything. God wanted to wipe them out, but look at the servant of God. What does he do? He prays for them. He, he brings his heart to God and he, and he pleads for them. So Moses early on and oftentimes brought his woes in prayer and his emotions to God. And that's the right place for our emotions. We cannot control what people do, but we can control how we respond. And Moses would bring his woes and his emotions before God. Many times in Scripture, we find Moses, as soon as the people wanted to even stone him, he would drop to his knees and pray. That was his response. He would drop to his knees and he would plead to God. He would plead to God. He would pray for them servant this servant leader but after some times or some time even Moses this great servant of God his emotions got the best of him and in Psalms 106 verse 32 it says and they they angered him also at the waters of strife so that it went ill with Moses on account of them. On account of them. You see, we're talking about self-control and emotion. But you see, willpower isn't enough. And Moses did love these people, but at, at this point in his life, he, it did go wrong for him. You know, it, we could come to that place where self-control isn't enough. But we always have to look at the motive behind why we do things. Why you know, because we do see in the scriptures in in Galatians chapter five in verse twenty two, one of the fruits of the spirit. And a lot of times we overlook that we always look for joy, peace, love, kindness, 
Self-control is in there, right? But how about long-suffering? How about long-suffering? That's, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit that is probably the least practiced. Long-suffering, because you know what? I don't like to suffer. I don't like to suffer. I don't like to be uncomfortable. But you see, this was, went bad for Moses, and it was a, an example for us to learn from, to act on our emotions. But you see, willpower alone or self-control isn't enough without, number two, the, the motive of love. You see, the reason why I serve is because I love the Lord. And I love His people. I love the Lord and I love His people. And, and you know what? His people are not perfect. His people are going to blow it. His people are going to complain. His people are going to act rude. His people is right here. That's me. I'm going to be moody. I'm going to have a bad day. I'm going to blow it. I'm not perfect. But I thank God he's, he, he's given me grace because he can wipe me out like that. And oftentimes, we, sometimes we rub each other wrong and right away we build up this block where the, the emotion gets the best of us and we shut, shut each other out. But you see, willpower and self-control isn't enough without the motive of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let me read verses th- uh, 1 through 8. It, Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and I have faith that I could move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. That's, that's pretty heavy. Ponder that. I am nothing. And though I bestow my, all my goods to feed the poor, I could be very generous. And though I bestow all my goods to the poor, And though I even give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Look at the characteristic of love. Love suffers long. Love. Love suffers long and is kind. We want to be kind, but we don't want to suffer long. I admit it. That's me. Love suffers long. And is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not self-gloating. Love is not puffed up. It thinks he's better than anyone else. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek his own. Love is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in sin or iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. And love hopes all things. And Lord, love endures all things. Love never fails. Now can I put my name in there? Tony suffers long 
and is kind. Tony doesn't envy. Tony doesn't parade himself around and think he's better than anything. He's puffed up. Tony doesn't behave rudely. He doesn't seek his own. He's not provoked. Tony thinks no evil. Tony doesn't re- rejoice in iniquity. And Tony, do- and Tony does jo- rejoice in truth. Tony bears all things. Tony believes all things. Tony hopes all things. Tony endures all things. Tony never fails. <laughs> no, I, I, I fail. I fail. Man, I need a work of God's Spirit in my heart. Man, I need, I need some transformation. See, I, I cannot live to... This is God, what God expects of me. But I can't even live up to those expectations on my own. I fail. But that's why I need God's work. I need the work of God's Spirit in my life. I need the dunamis power to fall upon me that I would be a good witness, a faithful witness in service. So James pleads for self-control, but he's stressing love, saying in the next verse, my beloved brethren, my beloved brethren. And then he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And the reason? The reason is simple. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he says, be swift to hear. Be swift to hear. Be be swift to be aware of what's going on. But don't react. See, because a lot of times we, it's like that that reflex where, you know, I hit myself in the knee or the doctor hits me in the knee and what happens? Right away, it's a reaction. And a lot of times when things go bad or what we hear, we want to respond right away in an action that's boom. I just fall into it. It's just boom, boom. It's all right. You hit me. I'm going to hit you back. And with Moses early on in 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 his ministry, we don't we don't see this is the only time we see Moses in that light, though. But look at how he acted all the other times. It's a great example to learn what not to do, but it's also he's also a great example of what to do he dropped to his knees am i praying about those things that bother me am i praying about those things those people who just kind of rub me wrong am i can i ponder this those things and those people that bother me lord is it something in me that i'm suppressing that i really don't even see in me as david even said search my heart lord you see, we have biases. We have biases. We could overlook things in some certain people because of our love for them, our bias towards them. But we even do that to ourselves. And as we'll see in the Scripture, it, it's, it happens. But he says, let every man be swift to ear. And I was reading Pastor Chuck's commentary, and he mentioned Romaine, and Romaine said, you have two ears. You're to listen Twice as much as you speak. In other words, don't react. Be slow to speak. Be swift to hear. Don't react. Think things through. Ponder Scripture. You know, even with me, just the other day, something happened. And right away, under my breath, I'm, I'm asking the Lord, 
I'm pondering Scripture. Pause to pray before having a reflex reaction to what you hear. Whatever's bothering you. Then he says, be slow to speak. And one of the things we have to make sure our conduct is in line with Scripture. And be slow to wrath. Don't be right away ready to condemn or be critical. We need to pray. Remember, we need to keep this in mind. Remember, God was and is merciful and gracious to you. Be and do likewise. Be merciful. Be gracious. Pray for one another. Love one another. So in verse 21, James moves from our reactions to what's taking place in our hearts. And he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So, pretty heavy. Paul's here, James is telling the church, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, I went to, again, I went to see the game. It was a birthday party for my niece yesterday. So I was hanging out with some of the, again, the old guys that I used to hang out with. And one of the guys was just giving me praise. Oh, man, Tony's so good. And Tony's this. And and he even said, uh, yeah, Tony's like God in skin. And I was like, first of all, I, I looked at him in front of everybody. I said, man, I am wretched. I'm a sinner. No better than you. I'm no better than you. I just realized I needed a savior. And I repented. I understand where I am. Don't believe your own press that you're so good. You know, as I get closer with the Lord, it just shows me how wretched I am and how I have to be often being sensitive to the moving of the Spirit and repent. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. You know, we go in prayer, me and Pastor Joe, and that's that's our prayer. Let us not bring anything in here that would defile. You know, you guys heard his prayer this morning. Don't let anything, let me not, let me not give the sacrifice of my service. Because we do. We give our sacrifice to the, our service to the Lord, but is it blemished? You see, the sacrifices that some give are their leftovers, their cast-offs. You know, you have two lambs, I'll give this one to the Lord, I'll keep this one for myself. You know, we could have that attitude. So what's taking place in our hearts? What's taking place in our hearts is our responsibility because it says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Lay aside those things. You see, we can hide from each other, but we cannot hide from God. And I, I admit, there's things I, I, right here that I need to get right with God. I need help. I need help. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect morally thought, word, or deed. I, I, need, I need a work of God's Spirit. I'm not in any blatant sin, but I'm saying it, it's, it's a battle. Even, even Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. He realized his own wretchedness and his need for a Savior and a continued cleansing work. But also, 
his own responsibility to be self-disciplined. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, where Paul says, I discipline my body, I bring it under subjection. At least when I preach to others, I myself become disqualified. Are there people not listening to me because of my conduct or my character? I have to take an inner look. Is there anything in me? Even Pastor Joe hit on it. Why isn't God using you? Is there something in your life? Well, here James is addressing the church and he's saying, lay aside every filthiness and overflow of wickedness. So the word lay aside simply stresses the importance of our action to put off filthiness, moral moral um, foulness. Foul. It's, it's not good. It's foul to God. Get rid of the filth. Any evil in our lives. We have to don't let it take root. And he calls it an overflow of wickedness. You see, church, we have to pray that we are not conformed to this world in what the world calls morality and right. Because the world is changing. Where we're talking about morality when it comes to borders, but when it comes to a child and abortion, my morality is on different spectrums. I have to have a biblical morality. My morality comes from God because all of us on the day of judgment will stand before him and I want to be in tune with him because he's the one who will judge all people. So is it possible that the church can get caught up in filth and wickedness and overflow of wickedness? Absolutely. When we leave the word. Because it says right here, Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be a recipient of God's word with a right attitude of meekness, which speaks of humility and submissiveness. Like Mary this morning. Humility and submissiveness. I have to check my heart. You know, because the Pharisees knew scripture. John John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, read it. They knew Scripture. Jesus said they knew Scripture. You knew it. They knew it back and forth. But they were unwilling to come to the Lord in a humble and submissive manner. They were arrogant and proud. But he says, the implanted Word. So to us as leaders, the Word has to be important. And it says the implanted word, and that speaks of a grafting, a grafting in. And I have an avocado tree in, in my backyard, and, and I ate a really good avocado one day, and I got the toothpicks, and I put it in a jar, and I put a little water right there, and I saw it shoot up. And it was about this high for a long time. And then I put it in a little bigger thing, and it got this big, and then I planted it. And then I ate one of my neighbors, and, and it's not growing fruit, but because you have to graft it. And what I did is I, my neighbor has a great tree, 
and I got a piece of his tree, cut off a part of it, and then what I had to do is get my tree. My tree was a cute little tree. It was, it was this big. It was about that big. It, pretty leaves. But I, I read the instructions, and it says I have to cut it. I had to cut it like in an angle. And then what I had to do is I had to cut it down the middle, and I had to get a branch from his tree who has bearing great fruit. And I had to cut it a certain way, like a V. So I had my tree like this. And I cut his tree in a point, his little stick, and I put it together and I was to bind it up. And now it's, 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 it's two, it's new, it's one, two becoming one. And that's the same thing with the believer. We need to become one with the word. It needs to be part of me to bear fruit. It needs to be the Christian apart from the word of God is not going to bear fruit because he's. He's detached from that grafting. I need the Word of God in my life. It's important. And it says uh, to the implanted Word. So the one becomes two and it produces fruit. But again, the leadership of, of Jesus' time, they were haughty. They were snobbish. They had egos. They weren't humble. But in our story today, Mary was humble and she believed the word and she applied the word. You see, that's the key. Me, the word application bears fruit. In verse 22, James goes on to say, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving, self-deception. Again, remember I said there's biases? I could be deceiving myself. And one of the things I want to encourage you guys to do is ponder Scripture. Don't just read Scripture. Something sticks out, pause. You know, when I went to Israel the first time, I got to go to amazing places. And we would have a Bible study and it was pertinent. And man, after we would hear the study we would stop and we would just say, hey, one of the teachers said, just be still. Think about what you heard. Think about where you're at. And I was caught in like, wow, you know, it's amazing. I'm here. But I thought about who I'm with. And I was, wow. I was, wow. I thought about what I heard and who I was with. And it was like, wow, it blew me away. But then the second time I went to Israel, it's a little different. It was, you know, we taught, and then all of a sudden we're taking pictures. But by the end of the trip, I, I realized something, how important it is for me just to stop and think about what I hear and about who I'm with. We serve an amazing God. But he says, be doers of the word. And not hearers only deceiving yourselves. James here is stressing the importance of, of replicating what we are reading and hearing. Because we can be hearers and not applying. And if that's the case, if we're hearing the message and not applying it to our lives, we are deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. 
You know, I want to encourage you, we're all believers here. During the altar call, we're praying for the believers. But during that altar call, I want to I want to I want to tell I want to challenge you. Ponder what you just heard and say, "Lord, help me to apply this to my life. Help this not to be a detachment where I'm just hearing myself and deceiving myself. Help me to humbly receive the implanted word. I want to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I do not want to be self-deceived. Because James goes on to say, for if anyone is a hearer of the word of God and not a doer is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror and for he observes it in himself and he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. No transformation. No transformation. There, there needs to be transformation here. I need to change. And, and Christian, I haven't arrived. 26 years later, I'm not arri- I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. And, I, and I, you know what? I will never get there until I put off flesh. And the battle will continue until I put off flesh. We need to pray. But it says here, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberties and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Man, that's me. I want that, Lord. Ponder that one. Lord, I want that. I want to be blessed. Not for the sake of self-glory. Your glory, Lord. You get the credit. You be glorified, Lord. And whatever I do for the Lord, whether I'm in this ministry or that ministry, you're in God's service. Don't put a premium on what I do is who I serve for. I serve for the Lord. And then James goes on to say, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. So here we see a, a twi- uh, uh, twice a stress on the importance of self-deception. Bridling our tongue. You know, and there was a word I was saying, you know, it, it, it's a crude word. It isn't considered a cuss word. And Angelica was telling me, don't say that word. Why? It's, it's going to come out in church. It's crude, but it, it, it isn't a cuss word. But, you know, even with that, I got to be careful. I got to be careful with what I say. I got to bridle my tongue. Because I'm supposed to glorify God. Not curse men who are made in the similitude of God. James goes on to say in chapter 4. But he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. From the world. You see, my conduct should not be in tune with the world. It should be grafted. I should be doing what the Scriptures tell me to do and how to live. You know, because doing things for God is, is, is a beautiful thing. We should help 
orphans. We should help widows. How many times, what was the last time we helped widows? Or even took them out for a dinner or said, hey, can I take you out for lunch? I'm speaking to the choir right here <laughs> myself. When's the last time I did anything for a widow in my church, in my family? Can I cut your can I cut your lawn? Do you need help moving something? Is there anything I could do for you? Why? So God can get glory. Orphans. I've, I've been praying for Sal's brother-in-law. They have an orphanage in, in Tijuana that they go. I'm, I'm praying that we would be a part of that. And we do have an extent, you know, Oscar goes out to, you know, we do in part help. But we could do so much more. But it starts here. It starts in the heart. It starts here in our Jerusalem. Then Judea, then Samaria, and then the other parts of the world. And, and, I, and I really, you know, I have 50,000 people who live in the city of Azusa where I live. 50,000. And, and I want to share with them. But I have to take care of what's in here first. It starts right here. I can't reach 50,000 people in the city of Azusa if, my, if, I'm, if I'm spotted. If there's moral blemishes and character blemishes and if I'm not living according to the world and I'm, I'm reacting to things when I should be praying. 50,000 people, and I, and I pray, Lord, touch my heart first. And then I pray for my, my, my family. Lord, may I be a good witness in my home. And there's things I need to get right in my home, in my family before I go outside. And then I pray for my neighbors because I have a neighbor's, and one of our, neighbor, our neighbors, I was praying, and then all of a sudden one of the neighbors comes here now. You know, it's, it's amazing what the Lord's doing. It's not because of me. It's because of not only me, other people in this church had an influence on those people. My neighbors, indirectly. It's, it's amazing. And then my, my heart, my home, my neighborhood, then the 50,000. And then there's 50,000 here in Covina. And, Co- and I think West Covina is like almost 70 to 100,000 people they need to hear the gospel but it starts here but James closes his first chapter with and to keep oneself unspotted from the world and that should be our prayer that we would be unspotted first Timothy chapter 6 even says that thou would keep the commandment without spot unrebukable we should be unrebukable in other words they shouldn't have somebody in your circle your family first in your family in your home you should be unrebukable and unblemished in your behavior in your conduct and character and then your neighbors how do your neighbors see you you complain to your neighbors rude to your neighbors you even say hi to your neighbors You know, Proverbs says that they dwell next to you for safety's sake. You should be praying for my neighbors. Apart from Christ, they're going to hell if they would perish. And you know what? It, it's sad. I, I walked down the street. I was going down the street 
yesterday, and it was an old man that used to sit there on his porch. He used to sit on his porch every day. And I'd walk by, and I just... I never once stopped. He just said, how you doing? My name is Tony. Build a relationship with him and share the gospel with him. He died. And I thought about that yesterday. Am I unrebukable? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 says, until the appearing of my Lord Jesus Christ. I have to pray, Lord, transform me. Change my heart, my character. I don't want to be rebuked. I want to be without spot, unrebukable until the Lord comes. Until the Lord comes. Without spot. Without blemish. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 in closing says, Therefore, my beloved, Peter even calls his church his beloved. You guys love each other? Love each other. Love God. Love each other. He says, therefore, my beloved. Seeing that you look for such things, be, be diligent that ye may, you may be found in Him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's pray. Father, we love You, Lord, and I thank You for these leaders, Lord, and I pray for a supernatural work of Your Spirit in our hearts, Lord. Heavy topics, Lord, but we pray, Lord, we wouldn't be hearers only, but doers. Father, that we would be men and women who meditate on Your Word. Father, that if there is any filthiness, in our lives, Father, that, it, that we would recognize it. We wouldn't com be conformed to this world or the mindset of this world. Father, for we see it transforming in an in a awful way. But we should be transforming too, Lord, into the image of Christ. We pray for the work of Your Spirit in our lives, Lord, that You would cleanse us, You'd wash us. Father, that we would be without spot and blameless until you come. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word, which keeps us in check, which keeps us in track. So, Father, may we continue until you come by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we all say, Amen. and you agree we need a transformation?